you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter number 26. I want to talk this morning about the power of grace. I want to talk this morning about the overwhelming power of this thing called grace. You see, grace and mercy oftentimes get used interchangeably. Oftentimes people uh, would use the same terminology to describe one thing or describe another. But mercy is very different than grace. You see, mercy recognizes what you have done or recognizes a wrong and chooses to ignore that situation. So, uh, for instance, uh, uh, whenever you have Uh, mercy, you have uh, looked at somebody who deserves something else, but for whatever reason, just choose to ignore it either indefinitely or for a season or for a time period or something like that. A good definition or a good example of mercy would be if you are driving down the road and uh, you happen to be driving too fast and that's getting harder to do since Highway 6 is now 75 miles an hour, you can get places in a hurry really without speeding. But if you happen to be speeding and you're driving too fast and a a, a police officer were to pull you over and and to ask you uh, for your your license and insurance and were to take it and look at it and then he was sitting there and he said you were going 85 miles an hour in a 75 or you were going 45 in a 35 or whatever you were doing and then he decides that you need uh, uh, to learn your lesson or you need to pay the toll if you will for what it costs whenever you go over the speed limit and you were to ask him for a break you would be asking him for mercy. You would be asking him to ignore what you did wrong for a season. You would ask him to turn turn away from the thing the law that you have broken and you would be asking him for mercy in that situation. Now granted on the same time if you were to get a ticket and you were to have that ticket in your hand you were to look at it and say okay you drove this fast going to cost $200 your insurance is going to go up everything's bad now you couldn't have, couldn't have gone any worse and then you were to ask that police officer for grace what you would be asking that police officer to do would be to pay your fine. Mercy ignores a situation either indefinitely or temporarily, but grace pays your price. You see, Jesus is not like some other God that some pagans serve or some pagans worship that sits dead on a shelf or sits dead in a tomb. He is the living God that paid the price for you and for me. The Bible says, for this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us and gave himself as a propitiation, as a payment for our sin. Thereby, grace is literally the payment of something you've done wrong. If I were to come to you and you said, you know what, I've got this ticket, Brother Brian, and this ticket is a problem and I wish I could do something with it. And I said, I tell you what, I love you. I'm so glad that you're, you know, my friend and all this other stuff. I'd like to pay that ticket. I have then bestowed grace into your life. I have paid your price. You earned it. I paid it. There was a story. There was a book that we had to read whenever I was in high school called The Whipping Boy. And it was about a, 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 a prince who, who it was against the rule or the, or the law of the kingdom for him to be whipped. So what they would do is when the boy acted up, they would literally whip this other kid. They would give this other kid a spanking. Now, the problem with that is it's unlawful because the kid, the whipping boy, did not choose to receive the punishment of the one who earned it. 
The reason that Jesus, the reason that His price is completely lawful, the reason the grace that you and I walk into freely is completely lawful and accurate and above board is because there was a moment when Peter ripped out his sword and tried to stop the people from taking Jesus and Jesus uh, sits there, puts the thing back on his ear, gets arrested, gets in front of Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate says to him, he says, what's the problem with you? Why won't you talk to me? Don't you understand that I have the power to take your life or to give it back? And Jesus said, you don't have any power over me. I could call 12 legions of angels to come down from heaven and wipe this whole thing out. No man takes my life, but I lay it down. In your life and my life, the reason grace is a lawful endeavor is not because Jesus was uh, forced onto a cross and brutalized and killed and murdered. It's because he willingly was put on a cross. It's because he willingly laid his life down. Grace is when somebody willingly pays your price. You and I are on the right side of Calvary. You and I are on the right side of the cross. We have the opportunity to get involved and to have grace manifest in our life, not because of our own accord and not because of our own doing, but rather because of the price that He paid for us. Amen? Amen. Clap your hands for joy right there. Matthew chapter number 26 verse 69 says this. This is right after uh, Jesus is arrested and Peter is following. And the Bible said that now Peter sat without in a palace and a lady, a damsel, came unto him saying, Thou hast, uh, thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. Meaning a lady came up, came up to uh, Peter and says, You were also with Jesus. And he denied before them all saying, I know not what you say. Verse 71, and when he was gone out into the porch, meaning walked outside, another maid, another lady saw him and said unto them, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72, and he again denied with an oath. This time he began to promise, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Meaning your accent gives you away, Mr. Galilean. 74, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, you should deny me thrice. You'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Several things I want to point out in that scripture, but one of them is the third time that Peter denied Jesus. The Bible said that he began to swear and curse. Did you know you know a tree by its fruit? You know a tree by how it acts. So Peter's process for trying to convince people that he was not with Jesus, the holy man, that he was not with Jesus, the son of God, that he was not one of Jesus' disciples, was to act like the world. You see, in your life and my life, I'm not telling you that if you want to talk any way you want to talk, that God's going to throw a lightning bolt and get you. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is you know a tree by its fruit. Peter's accent was giving him away. He's a Galilean, but he wanted to make sure that they did not believe that he in fact was with Jesus. And the way you can identify yourself as not with Jesus, meaning one of the great ways that you can identify yourself as not a Christian is to act like the world. 
You say, well, can I drink beer and be a Christian? That's between you and God. My question is, why are you looking at what you can get away with and stop? Why, quit looking at what you can get away with and try to look and see how close you can get to him? Amen. Do I care about a Bud Light? Not a bit. Son of my business, I could, I can argue it six ways from Sunday. I personally do not drink any alcohol. The Bible says in Leviticus 10 chapter 9, it says drink no strong or fermented drink on the way to the temple to pray. Then the Bible says this is a lasting ordinance for all generations to come. Therefore, the Bible says that I am now the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I'm already at the temple. Then the Bible says that I am to pray without ceasing. So since I'm already at church, I am the temple and I'm supposed to be praying already a According to Leviticus 10.9, which says it's the lasting ordinance for all generations to come, I just don't have time for it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that's yours. I'm telling you that's mine. There are things that are doctrine and there are things that are convictions. Doctrine is Jesus died. Three days later, Jesus rose. If you present anything opposite of that to me, then you and I have a problem theologically. But if you have a conviction on some things, there are some things that I'll watch on TV that other people could not watch. It would burn their holy ears. I like Deadliest Catch. Those guys, they bleep out the cuss words, but you know what they're saying. You know what I mean? They're all crazy. They're all nuts. They're, they're, they're in the middle of the Bering Sea. And, you know, I don't know what I'd say out there, y'all. They almost flip the boat every day. But the point I'm getting at is there's convictions and there's doctrine. You can't, you can't, you can't get out of doctrine, okay? You've got to keep that firmly rooted. But the other side of it is you've got to recognize that we see through a glass darkly. That means we are looking for the answer. The Apostle Paul says, I teach you what I know now. If I learn something else, I will teach that then. There are some things that are hidden and locked away in time. And in your life, you are doing and not doing things now that five years ago you would have never been comfortable with. Or you are not doing something now that five years ago, you didn't think a thing about it. You were a Christian, but the Bible says that God takes you from glory to glory to glory. So as you continue to ratchet up your level of faith and your walk with God, some things are going to have to fall off. The Bible says, I don't just lay away every sin, lay, lay aside every sin. The Bible says, I lay aside every weight. That so easily besets me, that holds me back. That means I'm not looking to find out what I can get away with. I'm looking for what I can knock off of my life that can help me run better and faster and stronger. So anyways, I'm back. Peter is sitting there and he's denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said that he was going to. He's immediately thrown in a place where he's trying to figure out who am I and where I, where, what have I done to my Savior? What have I done to my Lord? I was the one who just a few hours ago, I was sitting with Jesus and I said to him, I will go with you even unto death. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, man, whoa, be careful what you say. Don't make too many promises that you don't know if you can keep. But Peter thought that he could. But the problem was he was just a little bit short of grace. He was still on the mercy side of the equation. God was ignoring his fault. He was ignoring his frustrations. He was ignoring, ignoring the things that he had done. But he hadn't quite been empowered yet. 
So the Bible says that Jesus gets tried in some kind of a kangaroo court where they'd already made their decision long before he ever stood in front of them. They said, we're going to kill you, and that's the way it's going to be. Pontius Pilate makes the, uh, uh, the prophetic declaration when he washes his hands. He says, uh, his blood be on you and on your children. So the whole situation goes where Jesus uh, gets uh, beaten with a whip and, and flogged and punched and spit on and mocked and the, the crown of thorns shoved on his head and, and the, the soldiers and everybody else was just cursing him. Then they made him carry his own cross. They made him carry his own uh, uh, tool that they were going to use to uh, crucify him up a rock hill where they laid that thing down. They put him on top of it, stretched his arms off, drove nails through his hands, nails through his feet. Then they stood that thing up and they all stared at him and says, if you be the son of God, save yourself. They didn't realize the son of God wasn't there to save himself. He was there to save you and me. He's hanging on a tree. Peter's nowhere to be found. John, Mary, and Mary Magdalene are sitting there. And Jesus looks down and says, Behold your mother. Meaning from now on, you got to understand, I'm not going to live in this realm. You're not going to be able to walk hand in hand with me forever. But don't you worry because in just a few days, he's going to start exposing the promise of the Father to them, which is the Holy Spirit, which would make himself, which would make himself manifest at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2. So Jesus is hanging on a tree. He gives up the ghost. The Bible says that he screamed with a loud voice, it is finished. They take him down after piercing his side to prove that he's dead. They take him down after piercing his side to prove he's dead. Bring him down. They wrap him up, put him in a tomb that's borrowed of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, which the Bible says was a wealthy man. And I personally believe he was new to wealth. I personally believe that he began to get wealthy when he followed after Jesus. And the reason I believe that is because the Bible says that he had a tomb that nobody had been laid in. Now that's important because in those days you didn't have one tomb, one tomb, one tomb. You would have a family tomb. So I would have the Hallam family tomb and we would take all the Hallams and we would go put all the Hallams in there and it would be where everybody would go. So if, if I came from money, if I came from wealth, then I would already have a family tomb and there would already be people in it so it wouldn't be a tomb that no man had been laid in. So Joseph of Arimathea, I believe, he definitely was a Jew. He definitely had a way to get to Pilate on the most controversial day of all history. He had a way to get right to the top, which means he had influence, which means I believe he was not only a a, a businessman, I believe he was overwhelmingly successful. I believe he followed Jesus around, heard the teaching of Jesus, heard about sowing and reaping, saw Jesus work miracles, saw the disciples sink their boat almost, catching fish because they were so blessed of God, saw Jesus send them out when they needed tax money only to find God old and officious mouth, saw Jesus teach on tithing, uh, saw Jesus teach in different ways all through, and he began to be so blessed that he said, well, I'm going to establish a place for my family. So he had a tomb that nobody had laid in, and he says, let me have the body of Jesus so that I can put him in my tomb. Jesus didn't need his own tomb because he wasn't going to stay in it. So they took Jesus, and they put him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Three days later, the Bible says that whenever the sun began to break through the sky, 
sky on the first morning of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the Bible says that Mary and Mary Magdalene came to see and they were astonished because the, the, the stone that, had, they had been, that the soldiers had put there to block the tomb had been rolled away and the Bible says that an angel came down and rolled that stone out of the way and the angel was sitting there and says to Mary, he says, who are you seeking? They said, well, we seek my Lord. Where have they put his body? He said, don't you know he rose from the dead just like he said he was going to raise from the dead? And here's the scenario, Miss Mary. I need you to go tell his disciples. And then he said one of the most important things in the whole Bible, if your name's Brian Hallam, because I don't know about you, but I've been away from God a time or two in my life, and it was him who called me back, not me calling him back. All through life, we get to this place in God. All through life, we get to this place in time where we find ourselves going away from the things of God and we're sitting there saying, how can I get back? How can I get back? And that's when you hear the still small voice that doesn't just say, bring me all my people. It says, bring me Johnny. Bring me Brian. Bring me Bill. Bring me Ray. Bring me Matthew. Bring me the one who doesn't think I love him because I do. He said, tell his disciples and tell Peter. Bring the good news to the one who doesn't consider himself worthy. Bring the good news to the one who considers himself too far gone. I'm for the unworthy and I'm for the ones who think they're too far gone. I'm the giver of life, not the taker thereof. I'm the one who lays it all down. I'm the one who gives you access to the throne. I'm the one. Make sure Peter knows. The Bible says that that day he shows himself to the rest of the disciples and Peter. Of course, they all believe at that point and everything begins to get good. But the Bible says for 40 days, Jesus is seen in different places. At one place, he's walking on the road with two men, the Bible says, on the way to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking and Jesus is talking and they're, they're having this conversation and Jesus just kind of shows up in the middle of it and they're talking and they say, uh, uh, what's going on? Jesus is like, what are y'all talking about? He said, have you not heard? They killed the king of the Jews. They said that he's dead. They, they took him and they nailed him to a tree. Nobody did anything wrong. So Jesus walks with them and walks with them and walks with them. And then they, he says, okay, guys, I got to go. They said, no, 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 stay with us. We've enjoyed talking to you. And he sits down and the Bible says that he begins to expose the scriptures to them. Because the Bible says when the spirit of God makes manifest with you and you get attached to the word, you begin to revelate. You begin to get revelation knowledge that breaks forth on the inside of you. So these gentlemen start to get revelation knowledge only to a place where Jesus finally says, Guys, really, I've got to go. Jesus leaves and the Bible says that their eyes are open and they sit there and they say, Oh my goodness, that was him. And their answer is, Did not our heart burn within us? Peter's heart was burning within him and God called him by name. It's the same with you and for me. With you and for me. So for forty days, uh, Jesus is with the disciples. He's showing up everywhere. The Bible says he did signs and wonders. The Bible says he continued to do miracles just like he'd done before. And then he gets to a place, the place we call the Mount of Ascension, where the Bible says that he rose up into heaven and ascended all the way into heaven. And five hundred people watched him to do so. 
The Bible says that at that point an angel showed up and then a whole multitude of angels. And the angel said, hey guys, why are you staring at the sky? The same way you saw him leave, he's going to come back. But here's the scenario. Before Jesus left, he said, now, everybody who hears me, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. Our God is a supernatural God. He manifests himself in three distinct ways. He is the Father. He he is the Son and He is the Holy Spirit all at the same time. You say, how can God be three? Ask me about water. How can water be three? You've got steam, you've got ice, and you've got liquid water. But it's still H2O. God is three parts working miraculously and supernaturally together all at the same time. And here's the benefit. He never left you comfortless because as soon as Jesus had to go to heaven to prepare a place for you and for me, the Bible says He sent the promise, the helper, the one who endues with power, the Holy Spirit to earth to comfort us. So the Bible says that they get to Jerusalem and and they're there and they're all waiting in a place called the upper room. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, when they were all in one accord, meaning they were all thinking the same way, they were all focused on the things of God and they were all in one place. The Bible says there came from heaven... From heaven, didn't come from across the street, didn't come from Hearn, God bless Hearn, didn't come from Brenham, God bless Brenham, well it might have, they got Bluebell, come on somebody. There came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And the Bible says that when this took place, that the whole place began to shake. And all of a sudden, the people that were sitting there, there were cloven tongues of fire that rested on them. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all the people around, they began to spill out into the street. And all the people around them heard them in their own language. And they heard them saying, how is it that we see them talking, we see their lips, moving but every one of us hears in their own language it was a miraculous sign and the Bible says that in that moment that everybody was confused and people began to ridicule and one person started a riot and said oh I know what it is they're all drunk that's all it is they've been drinking all day long and that's the problem and the Bible says that supernaturally the unlikeliest of spokesmen who denied Jesus three times rises up in his spirit man and says no 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 we are not drunk with new wine this is that this is that he said this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of he says in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams and he began to prophesy and speak truth to him and then he began to preach the best Holy Ghost message you could ever hear about how Jesus is the Messiah he's not kind of a Messiah he talked about King David because they love King David he said here Here's the scenario, and I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. He said, here's the scenario. You can go to King David's tomb right now, and guess what? There's still bones in there that you can look at. But Jesus, the Bible says, who pleased the Father, and we know he pleased the Father because when he was baptized, his Father said, I'm so pleased in you, my son. So we know he pleased him, not only pleased him, the Bible says he died a sinner's death for you and for me, but you can't go touch his bones, and you can't go see his tomb without seeing how empty it is. 
So the whole thing begins to shift and Peter rises up in his spirit and he begins to preach. He says, this is that. He is him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the spirit that has emboldened me and empowered me is the thing that is manifest in this moment and pouring out in a supernatural and powerful way. And what you need to do if you hear what I'm telling you is to repent and be baptized. The Bible says that right then, supernaturally, 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God. This is grace. This is grace. Grace is not the empowerment to sin. Grace is the strength to overcome it. Grace is not the ability to look away from the things that you're doing wrong. Grace is knowing that the price has already been paid. The Bible says before grace, thou shalt not kill. Jesus came and says, I don't even want you to be angry with your brother. Before grace, the Bible says you should not commit adultery. Jesus came and says, I don't even want you looking lustfully. Could you have not seen the scholars who had it all figured out? They said, well, I've never done this, and I've never done this, and I've never killed anybody, and I've never this, and I've never that. But they had a problem with their brother-in-law from the time they were eight. Or whoever. So many times in our lives, We sit there and we forget which side of the tree we're on. You see, before the cross, before the power of the Holy Spirit rained down in that upper room, everybody was in a flux of mercy. God was just ignoring it for a season. And that's how we feel a lot of times. We feel, when is my payday? I know I've done so many things wrong. Or or you slip up in traffic or you slip up at the job site. Or you say something ugly to your wife or your kids or your husband or or your aunt or whoever. And you sit there and you start beating yourself up and you start saying, why am I this? Why am I that? I know I'm going to have to pay for this. You're on the wrong side of the tree to be paying for your faults. Mercy. Grace, grace, grace says real clearly, this is what you owe, yet I pay the price. The Bible says that 3,000 people got born again that day. Do you know what I want more than anything else? Revival. If you think just for a moment about how much God has changed your life. Did you know he wants to do that and more for everybody? The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. I want to please God in a way. I want this church to please his spirit in a way that it's impossible to walk through those doors or whatever doors we have and people not be changed. I don't want to preach a way to try to have a good life. I don't want to teach a philosophy that will lead to benefit that you could either have God or not have God, but they're still just good ideas. I want to teach the way. You see, the minute you get saved, 
Now you have the opportunity to be molded and shaped. But before that, God may have mercy on you. But mercy is ignoring something. The revelation of grace is that He paid the price. Interesting thing, and and I'll close with this, almost done. Moses was God's man. Everybody would agree. The the Egyptians held the Israelites, that's our brothers and sisters, captive for 400 years. And then God miraculously set them free by the blood of the Lamb, I might add. The Bible says for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. But while they were there, the Bible says that Moses ascended on Mount Sinai to go see God. For 40 days he was there. And while he was there, the people down below began to rebel against the things of God. They thought maybe Moses was dead and gone. They thought maybe Moses wasn't coming back. They weren't sure. All they saw was a mountain with thunder and lightning on it. Could you imagine? So then the Bible says that Moses comes down and he's got these stones that, 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 that God wrote on. I like to call them the very first text message. She's got these tablets, two of them, five on each, that have ten commandments. And and in our day and age, when the idea of servanthood and and obedience and submission to authority and all those things, they they get thrown into like it's some bad word. Like it's like it's bad to be polite. (laughs) They came down with the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were not just like an electric fence to try to shock you if you touch them. It was a recipe for a good life. It was a recipe for a, for a faith-filled, uh, loving life. How many of you know your life's probably better if you never murder anybody? Your life's better, your marriage is better if you never commit adultery. Your life, your peace is better if you don't spend your whole life wishing you had somebody else's something. Coveting, the Bible says. So God presents to His people, here guys, I'm giving you the recipe for success, especially in this dispensation, which we can call mercy. A lot of people call it the law, call it mercy. Because God was just looking past sin. So he sits there and he brings down these tablets and he, he hears talking and he had a young gun that was with him that helped him in every way named Joshua. Isn't it interesting that Joshua got to go everywhere that Moses went but Joshua just made the decision, <clears throat> I'm following Moses. So he's, he's coming down and the Bible says Joshua is making ready and he's like, Moses, somebody's in our camp starting war. Somebody's fighting. We got to get down there. But the Bible says that Moses goes, nope, that's not fighting. That's sin. And he goes down and when he gets close, he sees and all the people are acting a fool and acting crazy. And he takes the, the tablets of stone which God gave him and he threw them to the ground. Boom, and breaks them. Boom where we get the term break the law so the law is broken in a million pieces the Bible says that he goes to the spokesman Aaron his brother who he left in charge and he says what's going on here 
And Aaron blamed everybody. They, you know how they are. They're hard people and, you know, they're, they're crazy. So I took this thing and I made them a calf that they could dance around and worship and everything like that. So the likely spokesman got timid when the law was introduced. And Moses says, whoever's on God's side, get over here. All the Levites came over. All the ones that were committed to godliness came over. And the Bible says in that day, 3,000 people lost their life. 3,000 people were killed because of sin. See, your life is broken into two different categories. You have mercy. That's when God didn't let you die before you said yes to Jesus. That's whenever the car wreck that could have gone terrible is now just a story where you testify, even then God had his hand on you. The business that didn't work, you can look back and say, even then God had his hand on you. The bad situation you had to go through, even then God had his hand on me. Segment one, mercy. The next part of your life is grace. So when we look at the Bible, when we look at the two different parts, Old Covenant, New Covenant, it's symbolic of several different things, but it's also symbolic of your life. Can I encourage you in this, please? Remember which side of Calvary you're on. When you stumble and fall, speak of things that are not as though they were. You say, what do you mean? When you're sick, what do you say? By His stripes, I'm healed. When you stumble and fall, what should you say? I'm the lowliest of low. I get the humility. But remember the price paid was not just for your past sins. Not just for your present sins. But for everything you'll do before you enter into eternity. So in that moment when you find yourself falling short, remind yourself, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Begin to speak of yourself through eyes of grace, through lyrics of grace. Mercy was a wonderful part of your life, but you're not there anymore. You're in grace. You're not in the place where you're going to pay tit for tat for everything you've ever done. That's over. You're in a place where he paid it all. So here's the scenario. Anytime you see 40 or 400 It represents a transition time frame. A lot of times it represents a generation in the Bible. But it always represents a changing, a transition. Anytime you see 10 in the Bible, it always represents testing. There was 10 virgins who had the oil that were waiting on the, the, uh, um, uh, the bridegroom. There's 10 commandments. A tithe is 10%. There was ten plagues before uh, Pharaoh released the Israelites. Ten always represents a testing. So what you have under the law before grace, might be a better way to put it. You had a 40-day transition where Moses left the people and went up Mount Sinai. And came back with ten commandments, the test. Then the Bible says... When Jesus arose from the dead, that instead of leaving for 40 days, he stayed with the people 
for 40 days. Proving time and time again he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then the Bible says there was 500 people that saw Jesus arise. Only 120 in the upper room. Which means some people just aren't going to go with you. And you got to get comfortable with it. But the Bible says he said wait until you've been endued with power from on high. It was 10 days between him going to heaven and the Holy Spirit descending in the upper room. The interesting parallel, of course, we can draw parallels all day long. Your life before felt like God left you and you're just waiting. Felt like you were presented with a test that nobody could pass. Your life now under grace is a constant reminder that He won't leave you. And when the test is over, 10 days, you'll find yourself stronger than before you started. 3,000 people died because of sin before grace. But the Bible says when grace fully came, when the Holy Spirit came down and empowered those disciples and believers and empowered Peter to preach that good news of the gospel, when that happened, 3,000 people got born again. Your life is now on the right side of Calvary. If you're saved, if you're living for God, if you love His kingdom, if you're filled with His Spirit, you're on the right side of the cross. Never again will you wonder, is God angry with me? Nobody's saying He's pleased with sin. Don't get that. that that's, that's, uh, that's perverted doctrine. The idea that God just is happy with sin. No, Jesus did not die for sin so you could go roll in the mud with the pigs for the rest of your life. He came to empower you so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you really can believe down in your knower that God's going to lift up a standard against him. So this whole time, Peter finds himself in between mercy and grace. Yet when grace came, he was completely strengthened. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.